Father, we pray that you would help us tonight uh, to hear uh, what you are saying, to see uh, just who you are, that we would tremble in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A picture paints a thousand words. I'm sure you know that phrase and that you get what it's saying. One picture is worth a thousand words. To to see something helps to understand it in a way that it would take about a thousand words to explain. Or think of a a subject in school like English literature. Students read and learn and memorise a poem of, say, about a hundred words or so. But then they have to write an essay on it, which might be 2,000 or 3,000 words. The poem itself is so simple, so concise, so well written. But the explanation of it takes up so much more. The psalm that we're focusing on tonight, Psalm 114, and you have it on the service sheet, or you can find it in the Bible on page 614. But the psalm that we're focusing in on tonight might seem a bit like that picture's worth a thousand words. Consider that your warning for tonight. You see, in 97 words, the writer packs in so much that the sermon will take more than 97 words to uh, unpack it. And in fact, uh, we're already over 97 words if you were counting. Or to take the pictures, uh, the word pictures in this psalm, uh, if each of those is worth a thousand words, uh, then there is so much to say on each of these word pictures, but don't worry, we'll not take a thousand words for each of them. I promise you that. Before we dive into the psalm itself, though, just one brief introductory comment, particularly if you're joining us tonight for the first time in this series on the psalms. Psalm 114 is one of six psalms that were set, psalms for the period of the Passover feast. Psalms 113 to 118. So every year when the Jews came up to Jerusalem, these were the songs on their lips, the Passover praises. And so these were the songs that Jesus sang with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. These were the songs that were setting the tone for all that would come the next day. Now all... Six of the psalms were set for Passover, but it's only our psalm tonight, Psalm 114, that explicitly mentions the events of the Passover. It's the only one that mentions Egypt. We see that in the opening line of the psalm. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue, So in terms of the timeline of the Bible, we're towards the start of it. In Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abraham 
uh, to be the father of a, a great multitude in whose offspring all nations would be blessed. And so his family grew, Isaac and Jacob, and then his 12 sons. One of them, you might remember Joseph, uh, of the amazing trick, technical or dream coat fame. Uh, he went down into Egypt as a slave, having been sold by his brothers, only to rise to become prime minister. God having sent him beforehand for the saving of many people, including his own brothers, his own family. And so the family of Jacob, who was also known as Israel, they went down into Egypt. By the time you get to the book of Exodus, they've been in Egypt for 400 years. And now they are slaves. Back-breaking labour. Facing oppression. Calling for God to hear them and help them. And God does. God, by the uh, spectacle of the burning but not consumed bush, calls Moses. Sends him to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. But Pharaoh... He says no. And so God sends a series of plagues on the land of Egypt. The last of the plagues is the death of the firstborn. In every home, at the firstborn son that would die. But for the children of Israel, a Passover lamb died in their place. The blood sprinkled on the doorposts and lintel meant that God would pass over that house that he would miss it so the events of the Passover are in view and also the effects of the Passover and we see the the parallelism of Hebrew poetry at the first two lines which say the same thing in slightly different ways Israel are the house of Jacob Egypt was the people of foreign tongue. And what happened when Israel came out of Egypt? Well, we see in verse 2. Judah became God's sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. Now, both Israel and Judah are ways of speaking of the people of God. But I think it, it's saying that Judah refers to the tribe of Judah, uh, the tribe from which King David came, and in whose territory the, the temple was eventually built by David's son Solomon. Sanctuary and dominion uh, could refer to the same idea of territory. Uh, we're hearing a lot about borders and the United Kingdom and Brexit at the minute. But it's basically saying it's all God's. Well, I think it's also saying that Judah was God's special sanctuary, his inner dwelling, while the whole nation was his dominion, his possession. Kind of in the way that, you know, behind the communion rail is referred to as the sanctuary. But the whole building is dedicated to God. It's all God. 
in the next group of two verses, verses three and four, that we find a record of some of the big things that happened when Israel came out of Egypt. And again, what the writer says in five words or four words uh, is going to take a few more for me tonight. Verse three. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. The sea looked and fled. That's what we heard about in our first reading tonight from Exodus chapter 14. The people have fled from Egypt, but in their way is this massive barrier, the Red Sea. And behind them, the Egyptians are in hot pursuit because they've just realized that they've let their slave labor force go and who's going to do the work now? But what happened? God made a way through this sea. The sea fled to enable the Israelites to walk through on dry ground with a wall of water on either side. I wonder if you've ever been to or or seen some of those massive aquariums where you you can walk down a tunnel and it's it's a wall of glass and you can see the the fish on either side. Uh, That's what I imagine that scene to be like. The sea fled to enable the Israelites to walk through. They made it safe to the other side and then the sea resumed its place, drowning the pursuing Egyptians. That was at the start of their escape from Egypt. But the next line comes at the other end of their wilderness wanderings 40 years later. By this stage, the people are on the brink of entering the promised land, the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. But again, there's a big barrier in their way. The river Jordan was in full flow. It was flooding its banks with the melted snow coming down the mountains. Impassable. But what happened? Psalm 114 tells us, The Jordan turned back. It stopped flowing. When the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they stepped down to the riverside, the river stopped, enabling God's people to pass over on dry ground. You can read about that in Joshua 3 and 4. Verse 4 then pictures something that happened in between those two miraculous events. It says the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. So you've seen the, uh, the rams and the lambs out uh, skipping and frolicking about. Well what's in view there is the earthquake on Mount Sinai. When God comes down to give the people uh, the law, the Ten Commandments. The mountains skipped, the hills as well. 
Now, it might seem that having covered those events, uh, telling us what happened in poetic language, uh, that the writer is now just repeating himself when we come to verses 5 and 6. But notice what is happening here. Creation is being questioned. They're being interviewed. So uh, imagine a, a, a chat show, maybe um, Michael Parkinson back in the day, uh, or whoever you watch these days. And you have four seats for the interviewees. They would have to be waterproof and they'd have to be seriously strengthened. Because who's being interviewed? It's the sea, the River Jordan, the mountains and the hills. And the question, why was it that you did what you did? Verse 5. Why was it, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back, you mountains that you skipped like rams, you hills like lambs. The sea is, well, normally in its place. The Jordan, it normally flows downhill following its course. The mountains and the hills, they normally stand still, not skipping or jumping. So what happened? Why did you do what you did? The prayer book puts that question as what ailed you, O sea, that you fled? Why did you do it? Verse 7, we find the answer. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of of the God of Judah, Sorry, of Jacob. It's because God was with his people in bringing them out of Egypt and in bringing them through the wilderness and in bringing them into the promised land that the creation acted in these weird ways. It was God's presence that cleared the way for his people through the sea and through the river. It was God's presence at the top of Mount Sinai which caused it to quake and to skip. And in God's providence, we focus this morning on the Lord Jesus stilling the storm. As the disciples said, even the wind and the waves obey him. Creation obeying the creator's voice. But notice that verse 7 isn't just the answer to the question of verses 5 and 6. In fact, the phrasing of verse 7 suggests that this is a command to the whole earth. Both the land itself, but also the people who live on the earth. You see, it's because the creation has already reacted in these ways to its maker's presence that now the whole earth is advised to tremble at the presence of the Lord. His majesty and glory, his power and his might, his holiness and his grace, his love and his mercy. It can sometimes be that we can emphasise God's love and his grace and his acceptance that we 
forget about how awesome God also is. The command to tremble is to be heeded. There is a proper fear and respect and honour due to the Lord our God. In the book at Revelation, we see the enemies of God trembling in this way. Kings and princes, generals, the rich, the mighty, slaves and free. When they call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the face of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. They tremble because they fear God. But at that point it is too late for mercy. But we also see the creation itself trembling in our second reading. You see, as Jesus sang these words of Psalm 114 with his disciples at the Last Supper, he would have known what was going to happen the next day as he died on the cross. The sun refusing to shine from noon until three o'clock darkness over the land the earth quaking and the rocks splitting and even the curtain of the temple torn from top to bottom creation trembling at the presence of God at the death of the Lord Jesus fully God and fully man I wonder, did you notice how verse 8 seems to just be tacked on at the end to, to fit into the lines of the poetry? But it's another picture of what God did for his people in the wilderness. Another sign of creation trembling at the presence of God. Water coming from the rock, which happened two times in the wilderness, once in Exodus 17, and then again in Numbers 20. A hard rock becomes a pool, a spring of water, a place of refreshment. Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, tells us that the people drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And what was it that Jesus offers us through his death on the cross? The ladies' Bible study on Friday night, we're looking at, at the woman at the well. And Jesus says to her, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is our Passover lamb, the one who died to bring us freedom. Jesus is the presence of God who died to save us, causing the earth to tremble. And Jesus is the one who 
offers us the river of the water of eternal life, flowing through him to satisfy our thirst. That call goes out in verse 7. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Will you tremble now? Filled with awe and wonder at the amazing, wonderful gift of salvation, that Jesus offers? Or will you be brought to tremble eventually in fear of the wrath of the Lamb? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glimpse of your power, this glimpse of your presence. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gift of life that he offers to us. We pray that you would help us to rightly tremble, as we receive that gift. Father, we ask that we would indeed know your power and your presence with us tonight. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.